Thank you for stopping by the Cypress Church Podcast. We are a church community who seek to worship Jesus, love one another, and serve the world. We hope you'll come away from this podcast with your hearts refreshed from hearing the Word of God proclaimed. Have you ever noticed that where you look, your body seems to take you where you're looking? Race car drivers, airline pilots, mountain bikers, they all know this, where you look, that's where your body goes. It's a physiological phenomenon known as target fixation. Where you look, your brain directs your body to go. That's why race car drivers, pilots, mountain bike riders, that's why you're told to look ahead. Don't look at what right, what's right in front of you. Don't look to the sides. Look where you want to go. Lift your eyes up and look where you want to go because of target fixation, your body, your brain will tell your body to go to where you're looking. If you've ever taken an art class, Art 101, and you've been taught how to draw a straight line, what you'll be taught to do is on your page, draw two dots. Dot number one and dot number two. Then you'll be taught to put your pen or pencil on dot number one, but then you'll be be told to look and do not take your eyes off dot number two. So you stare at dot number two and think about your pen, stare at dot number two and just have your pen go to dot number two. (laughs) Now you practice this over and over again drawing a straight line from dot number one while you're looking at dot number two, and it is remarkable how straight your lines can be. Freehand, no ruler. It's because of target fixation, a physiological phenomenon that we see in the world and at work in the way our brains, our eyes, and our bodies work. Where you look, your brain tells your body to go there. Don't look off to the side. If you look off to the side when you're wanting to go straight down the road, you'll get into trouble. In the same way that target fixation is true in the physical realm, so it is true in the spiritual realm. Jesus trained his disciples to focus on him. And as they did, he opened their eyes to see other people that the rest of the world overlooked and ignored. And when they looked and and focused on Jesus and they began seeing other people like Jesus saw other people, it set them on a collision course to encounter the power and the presence of God. If you have your Bibles, if you'd open with me to Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 3, if you're using the black Bible in the pew in front of you, it's on page 1,159, 1,159. We're studying the New Testament book of Acts. 
Acts is all about encountering and, and experiencing more the Holy Spirit. And this morning we're going to see the apostles, John and Peter. And John and Peter, the whole chapter is about them seeing a man who is begging. Everything pivots on that moment when they see this man who was begging. But they didn't just look at him. They saw this man like Jesus saw this man. And they had compassion on him. And what happened next was a remarkable, monumental, biblically epic story that we have recorded for us in Acts chapter 3. So we're going to be reading the whole chapter, all 26 verses. And as we read all these verses, then we're going to make five observations, five observations that will open up, that will unlock this chapter for us. So with that, let's get straight into Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And the man fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat by the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel. Why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him to walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this, we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of, of you all. And now, brothers... I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, 
that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days, you are the sons of the prophets and the covenant that God made with your forefathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. There's a whole lot going on in this chapter. We're going to make five observations that will open up this chapter for us this week as we continue to dig into it together. The first observation that I want you to see is this. Chapter 3 has strong Jewish themes. Chapter 3 has strong Jewish themes. It begins right out of the gate with verse 1. We have a reference to the temple. This is the Jewish temple in the city of Jerusalem. There are six references to this Jewish temple in the city of Jerusalem throughout this chapter. Six times in 26 verses is a lot. It's emphasizing this is happening in Jerusalem at the temple in the Jewish mindset The temple is the center of not only the city of Jerusalem, but the center of the universe. This is where God meets with his people in the temple. So you have six references to the Jewish temple in the city of Jerusalem. You also have Peter later in the chapter invoking the name of six, uh, sorry, five really key Jewish founding fathers. In verse 13, you'll see that he invokes the names of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then in verse 22, he references and quotes Moses, the giver of the Jewish law. And then in verse 24, he he speaks of Samuel, who represents all of the Jewish prophets. So this chapter has really strong Jewish themes. And when you recognize these strong Jewish themes and study their significance, it unlocks layers of beauty and understanding embedded in this chapter. So lean in to these things that might feel unfamiliar to you because they're ancient and Jewish. Lean into those things because it unlocks a whole lot of other layers to this chapter. That leads us to the second observation which is this, be sure to see, number two, the contrast between the beautiful gate versus the begging man. Make sure you take note of the contrast between the beautiful gate and the begging man. Look at verse two. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask for alms of those who are entering the temple. The Jewish temple 
was absolutely magnificent in its day. Before 70 AD, when the Roman army came in and absolutely destroyed, wiped out the Jewish temple, before 70 AD, at the time that this was happening in Acts chapter 3, the Jewish temple was magnificent. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was stunning, but there was only one thing in the whole chapel, in the whole temple, that was designated as beautiful, and it's this gate right here in verse 2. It was a beautiful gate called the beautiful gate. So everything that we know about this gate, we must understand that it's big. It's big and it's been elaborately designed and extravagantly inlaid and it's very, very expensive. Contrast this beautiful gate, the richness of this beautiful gate, with the poverty of the poor man sitting right outside of it begging for food and clothing and shelter. The contrast between the beautiful gate and the begging man highlights the utter failure of religion to meet the ultimate needs of people. Religion fails to meet the needs, the ultimate deepest needs of the human heart. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 4, when the temple was being built, this meeting place between God and man, this place of a relationship with, between God and man, in Deuteronomy chapter 15 and verse 4, it says, in this city where this temple is being built, there will be no poor among you. That was the command, there shall be no poor among you. So as people came in and worshipped God, as these people focused on God, God was focusing them on other people and, they, and the, the idea was as we focus on God, we're to open our eyes up, to have our eyes opened up to other people around us and make sure that there's no one in need directly around us. But here in Acts chapter three, we see the utter failure we see that this thing that was originally meant for relationship with God had become religious. As soon as the people took their focus off God, on loving God and loving other people, on relationship with God and relationship with other people, as soon as their eyes got taken off those things, it all became very religious. So now any monies that were given in, in offering of worship were not helped to help the poor. Now they were to build this beautiful gate this beautiful temple, have this beautiful building, allow the, the priest to let, wear beautiful clothes and eat beautiful food and drink beautiful wine. It was all very, very religious and no longer about relationship. And that is the, the, the contrast that we see here. We've got this beautiful gate at this place that we're supposed to meet with God. But the beautiful gate shows that religion utterly destroys not only relationship with God, but our relationships with other people. As soon as you take your focus off God, your focus will be off other people and your religious overtones will become ritualistic and empty. And now you'll be working hard for your salvation and focused on giving towards that beautiful gate, maintaining that beautiful gate, making sure no one touches that beautiful gate. And the whole purpose of the gate is so that you go through it and meet with God. 
But now the focus is on the beautiful gate, not on God, and definitely not on the poor man sitting outside the gate seeking to beg for food. This reminds me of, a, of the story of Mike Jankowski. Mike Jankowski, a number of years ago, voluntarily lived homeless for five months in six different cities around this country. He wanted to learn what it is like. He wasn't homeless, but he wanted to live homeless for five months to discover what it's like. And he said very quickly he became very hungry and he was forced to, to beg for food. And this is, these words are the account of his first experience of begging. Think about this man sitting outside the beautiful gate as I read these words. Mike Yankowski in his book, Under the Overpass, A Journey of Faith on the Streets of America, wrote these words. Begging is hard. It's something you expect hungry dogs to do, but not men and women made in God's image. On my first go at begging, it was almost too humiliating to bear. Person after person walked right past me without making eye contact. As hungry as I was for food, I quickly grew hungrier for someone just to look at me. Occasionally a passerby glanced down. Mostly they stared straight ahead and pretended like I wasn't there. It made me think of the many times I had walked past by a homeless man or woman sitting on the cold sidewalk, awkwardly averting my eyes. Our good intentions and sound theology are wasted if those we serve don't feel that we care about their immediate concerns. Make sure you take note of the contrast between the beautiful gate and the begging man. And let it be a warning to us that, that praying and going to church and all these really good things that are designed to bring us into relationship with God, if your focus gets off of God, they become religious rituals. Emptiness. If you're not being drawn deeper into relationship with God and if your eyes aren't opening up to the importance and need of, needs of other people, something's off. If it becomes all about the beautiful gate, and not about the people God is putting right in front of you, in your own home, in your own neighborhood, the people at your work, the people in our community, the people everyone else ignores and walks past, then something's up. That's religion. God is calling us into relationship with him and with each other. We see that in the contrast between the beautiful gate and the begging man. That leads us to the third observation. The third observation is this. Peter saw the begging man. Peter saw the begging man. Now that might seem like overly simplistic and basic, but don't be tempted to skip over it. That is the pivot point for this whole chapter. Everything that happens after in the rest of this chapter, the miracle, the powerful gospel message, all of that stuff is because Peter saw the begging man. Look at verses three through five, and I want you to take note of all the sight language in those three verses. Look at verse three with me. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And the man fixed his attention on them. 
Whenever you see something stacked up like that, the man saw Peter and John. Peter and John directed their gaze at him. They said, look at us. And he, and he directed his attention to them, fixed his attention on them. Whenever you see language like that stacked up, pay attention. It's like the writer of Scripture saying, look at this. This is a major point. Verses 3, 4, and 5, the sight language is stacked up, one on top of the other. And the idea here is that Peter saw this man. He didn't just look at him, which was amazing. According to Mike Yankowski, most people don't even look at you when you're begging. It makes people feel awkward. Peter not only looked at this man in the face, in his eyes, but he saw this man and had compassion on him. Jesus had trained Peter and John to do this. He spent hours training Peter and John as they fixed their eyes on Jesus. Jesus opened their eyes up to other people. Later on, I want you to, I encourage you to look at Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 is where Jesus takes his disciples to a Pharisee's house, a Pharisee named Simon. And Simon's putting on this really big shindig. They're having a great dinner. And this woman of the city, which means a prostitute, walks into the dinner and starts anointing Jesus with this expensive oil. Well, this was a showstopper. And Simon is really put out. When he looks at this woman, all he sees is this woman's sin. That's it. And Jesus asks the most penetrating question. He says, Simon, do you see this woman? All of his disciples heard that question. Because when Jesus saw this woman, he didn't see her sin. He saw the faith that brought forgiveness. Simon saw a sinner and sin. Jesus saw faith and forgiveness. Two radically different ways to look at people. Huh. But it's not only in Luke chapter 9. Look at Luke chapter 15. Uh, Luke chapter 10, sorry. To one of Jesus' most famous parables, the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know, the only difference, there's three people in the, in the parable of the Good Samaritan. There's the injured man on the side of the road, right? And then there's three people that walk past. And the first two, they see the man, but what do they do? They look away and walk by on the other side. They bolt. Makes them uncomfortable. They don't want to do anything. They don't even look at the guy after they, after they see him. They look the other way and they're bolting. The only difference between the Samaritan and those two other religious figures is that the Samaritan looked at this man and something else happened. He looked and had compassion, it says, on this man. And as soon as he had compassion, his heart broke for this man and he didn't just go over and check on him. He did everything he could to make sure this guy was back on track. He took him and paid for a hotel for him and told the innkeeper to take care of him until he was fully well. He didn't just go one mile, he went a thousand miles for this guy. And it all started because the Samaritan looked at him and cared for him. That's how Jesus had trained his disciples to see people. Don't just look at people, see them. What's really going on? How can I really help you? 
How can I love and serve you? How can I share Jesus with you? Which is your ultimate deepest need if you don't know him, if you're not following him. Don't just look at people, learn to see them, Jesus taught his disciples. But all this was just kind of theory and training until Peter experienced it personally. Think about it. Peter publicly denies Jesus three times. I mean, talk about failure. Talk about brokenness. Talk about disillusionment. And then Jesus dies, so it's all over. Three days later, God resurrects Jesus from the dead, doesn't he? And Peter sees Jesus. But more importantly, Jesus looked at Peter. And Jesus didn't see the sin. He saw the faith and forgiveness. And so this thing that Jesus had taught Peter now became personal for Peter. Now he understood what it meant to be seen by Jesus. Not with my sin, but now with faith and forgiveness from Jesus. And it initiated relationship. Not just like the relationship before, but even better now. Now everything Jesus had taught him about seeing people made sense to him because now he saw that Jesus was seeing him in all of his brokenness, in all of his sin, and he, lifts, he lifted Peter up. And at that point, Peter starts leaping and praising God. At that point, Peter starts getting focused on Jesus to become the leader of the apostles just as Jesus had appointed him to be, even with the three denials. But now Peter was a different person because why? Jesus saw him, saw his faith and forgave his sin and empowered him in a whole new way to be everything that Christ was calling him to be. It was an empowering moment. It's an empowering moment when you realize Jesus sees you. Peter saw the begging man. He really saw him. And that triggered the fourth observation. I want you to pay attention to number four, the combination of a great miracle and the gospel message. The combination of a great miracle and the gospel message. If you look at this chapter, it basically breaks down into two parts. The first part, verses one through 10, it's all about a great miracle. The second part, verses 11 through 26, gospel message. The first part, Work, amazing work of God. The second part, amazing words of God. The first part, sign. The second part, speech. This is powerful. As you you think through these two parts, I want you to understand there is a completeness to this gospel. Not only is there love for this man, but there is truth given to this man and everybody else who would listen in that crowd. Love and truth, sign and speech, work and word, great miracle and gospel message. It goes back to that old adage. See if I can remember it. I always get it mixed up. People only care how much you know until they know how much you care. Look at this chapter and see how much the care that Peter showed towards this man, how he looked at this man and really saw this man. 
how that opens up one of the massive gospel presentations at the beginning of the book of Acts. It's amazing. And if you only give the truth with no love, it'll fall short. And if you only give love but no truth, it'll fall short. But when you combine truth and love, when you really care about somebody and not just delivering a message or not just helping a need, they're all important, but when you combine those two, it opens up powerful encounters like we see here. So we have this miraculous healing happen in the first part, and it's miraculous healing. We're gonna get more into healing later on, so I'm not gonna delve into it too deeply right now, but because what I want you to see is the combination of the miracle, but Peter doesn't let the miracle stand alone. And sorry about the pun there, all right? He doesn't let the miracle stand alone. He makes sure it's combined with and connected to a message. He makes sure everybody knows how this miracle has just happened. We'll get into that in just a moment, but I don't want you to miss the fact that the second part, verses 11 through 26, is one of the powerful gospel messages in the book of Acts. We've already seen Peter preach an amazing sermon in Acts chapter 2. It, had all, it was fully Jesus' kingdom gospel. It had the three aspects and the seven elements. But while this sermon in Acts chapter 3 is the same in that regard, three aspects, seven elements, it was a full gospel presentation. Here we see the power. It's different. We see the power of it being combined with love for people, the man outside the beautiful gate who was begging. We see this combination happen, and it opens up another powerful situation where this, this sermon, though, is different from the first one. It has the same aspects and elements, but now Peter is tailoring this message to this particular group of people. This is a group of worshipers of God who are caught up in religion in the Jewish temple, in the Jewish city of Jerusalem, and they're Jewish people themselves. And so Peter forms this gospel message around the people who are listening to it in a magnificent way. He quotes Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and Samuel, these people that these, these folks think are awesome. And he alerts them to all of those people are talking about one person. They're all, all looking towards and promising one person, and his name is Jesus. And so the gospel is preached. Jesus is God's king, is Peter's point. And he boldly calls everybody in this crowd to repent of their sin and believe in the gospel, the gospel about Jesus, that he is not only God's king, but he died on the cross for our sins. That's love. And he was resurrected from the dead on the third day and is now sitting at the right hand of the Father as God's king, ruling as God's king. That's truth. And they come together in this incredible gospel message in Acts chapter 3. I hope you'll come next Sunday evening to the Kingdom Lab. We're going to talk about the gospel. We're going to unpack the gospel. We're going to not only show you a full gospel, but the complete gospel that not only is information for us to know, but leads to transformation of lives. 
I hope you'll come, 5.30 to 7.30 next Sunday, right here. Those four observations bring us to the fifth observation, and I was thinking through this fifth observation in light of the last two weeks. This is a jaw dropper to me. This makes my jaw go, what? Observation number five, check this out. There is not one mention of the Holy Spirit in chapter three. There is not one mention of the Holy Spirit in chapter three, and everyone said, What? (laughs) After all the anticipation and waiting for the Holy Spirit in chapter one, after this spectacular entrance of the Holy Spirit in chapter two, here, utter silence. No Holy Spirit. Not even a hint of the Holy Spirit anywhere in the words of this chapter. What is up with that, Ben? You told us that the book of Acts was all about experiencing the Holy Spirit more, and here the Holy Spirit is utterly absent. Where is he? How are you going to explain that? I have no idea. No, I have an idea. After being thrust into center stage in chapter 2, It seems like on the surface that the Holy Spirit has been yanked backstage in chapter 3. Where is he? But the absence of the Holy Spirit, apparent absence of the Holy Spirit in chapter 3 sets us up for one of the most important lessons about the Holy Spirit that you and I are going to learn throughout the book of Acts. How are we going to learn a lesson about the Holy Spirit in the one chapter that doesn't mention the Holy Spirit at all? I want you to write down John chapter 16 and verse 14. John chapter 16 and verse 14. In that verse, Jesus is teaching us about the Holy Spirit. And in that verse, there's four, he says four words. He will glorify me. He will glorify me. Think about that for a minute. The Holy Spirit will glorify Jesus. That is the Holy Spirit's role. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what the Holy Spirit is always working to to do. The Holy Spirit is never saying, hey, look at me. Look how good I am. Look how awesome I, did you see what I just did? Woo! I am so cool. Check this out. He never does that. Not once will you ever see the Holy Spirit draw attention to himself. He will always and only direct attention to Jesus. He will glorify me. What do we see in Acts chapter 3? That's exactly what we see. The Holy Spirit makes this spectacular entrance in chapter 2, and then he goes dark. He's not around. Why? Because he's doing his job. He is bringing all the attention to Jesus. This chapter is all about Jesus. Who does the great miracle? Peter says it was Jesus who did this miracle. Who, Who was the whole gospel message about, centered in? It's all about Jesus. Jesus is mentioned like 20 times in this chapter. The Holy Spirit, zero. 
Is the Holy Spirit present in this chapter? He is all over this chapter. But he's not saying, hey, look at me. He's saying, look at Jesus. Look at King Jesus. He died on the cross for you, for all of your sins, so you could be forgiven. Have faith in him. He's resurrected from the dead. He's going to give you the gift of eternal life, not only in the future, but right now through the power of the Holy Spirit. He will change you. He'll heal your brokenness. He will reach down like Peter does right here, lift you up and set you on a path. Fix your eyes on Jesus. The Holy Spirit is all over this chapter, but he's nowhere to be seen. Consider these seven ways the Holy Spirit is involved in Acts chapter 3 if you have eyes to see him. Number one, the Holy Spirit helped Peter and John see the man. Number two, the Holy Spirit gave Peter the boldness to call this man to believe Jesus could heal him. Number three, the Holy Spirit filled the man with faith in Jesus. Number four, the Holy Spirit healed the man by strengthening his legs to not just walk, but leap. This is a guy we're going to find out in chapter four because the story continues in chapter four. We're going to find out that this guy has been lame from birth and he's over 40 years old. This isn't just a recent paralysis. This has been something that has lasted his whole life more than 40 years. And he's now leaping this one who used to be lame. Number five, the Holy Spirit filled the man with joy to publicly praise God in a massive crowd. That's the Holy Spirit. Number six, the Holy Spirit gave Peter the humility to redirect the attention from himself and onto Jesus. Did you notice the very first thing that Peter says? Because the crowd were gushing around Peter and John. And the very first thing that Peter does is, why are you staring at us? It's not because of our power or our piety that this man was healed. This is all about Jesus. Stare at him. Very first thing that he does, humility. That comes from the Holy Spirit. Number seven, the Holy Spirit empowered Peter to proclaim the gospel confidently and boldly call them to repent and believe. Any one of you who have tried to share the gospel without the Holy Spirit knows that's impossible. You cannot share the gospel confidently and boldly call people to repent and believe unless the Holy Spirit is at work. There's seven ways, there's probably more, there's seven ways The Holy Spirit is present in Acts chapter 3, even though the Holy Spirit is not mentioned once. We just learned something massive about the Holy Spirit this morning. And it's not just something that that is true here, it's something true in your life. The Holy Spirit is going to seek to work in you and me in a way that causes us not to say, hey, look at me. It's all about me. It's what I want, what I need and what... No, no, no. If the Holy Spirit's at work in your life and my life, we're going to be saying, it's not about me. It's about him. This is one of the most fundamental discipleship lessons that there is. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about what we want. It's about what he wants. It's about his will. It's about his purposes, about his kingdom advancing. It's about his king and his death and his resurrection. It's about following 
him. It's all about him. The Holy Spirit's at work. Your life will more and more and more become more about Jesus because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He's always directing you and me to fix our eyes on Jesus. So let me bring it back to target. Fixation. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 commands us, fix your eyes on Jesus. So here's my pen, and I'm trying to draw, I'm fixing my eyes on Jesus, and I'm trying to draw the straight line by fixing my eyes on Jesus. But sometimes in our life, we get distracted, don't we? Sometimes the very things that are calling us into relationship with Jesus, we take our eyes off Jesus and they become religious things. It starts focusing on all these things we think are beautiful, but they're really ugly. And so we start seeing our focus go off track into religious rituals and rule keeping and all these different things. What's the Holy Spirit doing? Hey, fix your eyes on Jesus. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit brings our eyes back onto Jesus and and we start walking the straight path, the straight and narrow path with Jesus. And then we start doing really, really well, but then we start sharing love, but no truth. So we start getting off track again. Or we start sharing truth, hardcore truth, no love. And we start getting really off track. And there's no people who even want to be with us, let alone listen to anything we have to say. And then what what does the Holy Spirit do in our lives? Hey, fix your eyes on Jesus. And the Holy Spirit brings us back into alignment. And so as we fix our eyes on Jesus, yeah, we might take these detours, but what does Peter learn? Peter learns that, hey, the most, one of the most important lessons about keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus is realizing that Jesus sees us. He sees us in all of our brokenness, in all of our failure, in all of our sin, and he says, I don't see sin, I see faith. I don't see a sinner, I see a forgiven saint. I see you differently than you see yourself, Jesus says. I see you as chosen before the foundation of the world, forgiven by God. I see you predestined to become holy. I see you adopted into the family of God. I see you justified before the king. I see you endowed with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who has the very resurrection power of Jesus. You're not weak. In him, you are strong, Jesus says. Jesus sees you and me totally different than what we see ourselves and the way other people see us. But it's almost like there's this beautiful eye contact moment when we come into relationship with Christ where we've got to realize he sees us and he sees us in him. And when we fix our eyes on Jesus, he opens up our eyes to everyone around us. All the people, all the, not to, maybe to new people, but to the very people that he's already put around us. 
Don't be looking so far out there that you miss the people right here. But as you focus on Jesus, he's going to open up. Who are the people you're living with? Your family, your neighbors, the people you work with. Do you really see them like Jesus? And then when you go to the store or when you're on your, in your highways and byways, do you really see people? Would you see Mike Yankowski begging on the side of the road, starving for food, but hungrier just to be looked at and cared for and asked a question and how's he doing? Would you see Mike? When the Holy Spirit moves, he opens our eyes to love people like Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit will fix all of our attention on Jesus and Jesus will open our eyes up to other people to see them like he does. The Holy Spirit is nowhere to be found in Acts chapter 3, but he's everywhere. He's all over it. If you have eyes to see. Do you know that Jesus sees you? And he sees the seed of faith in you. And he just sees forgiveness. And he's dedicated to healing your brokenness and empowering you to live a new life. Do you see that? If Jesus looked in your heart this morning, would he see a seed of faith? Do you realize how much he loves you and he proved his love for you by dying on the cross for your sins? by making a way for you to have a relationship with God. Don't miss that Christ is calling you into relationship with God because you think that Christianity is all about religion. It is not. One of the reasons I love our 38-year-old worn carpet courtesy of Wayne Berryman, it's lasted 38 years. But part of the reason I love this is because it's a big sign, hey, it's not about the building here. It's about coming into relationship with Christ. Yeah, we're going to replace the carpet sometime soon. But it's not about the building. It's not about the stuff. It's not about the beautiful gate. It's about recognizing we're all beggars outside the beautiful gate saying, does anybody see me? And Jesus says, I see you. And I came and died for you to provide you everything that you need to have eternal life and a new life now. Will you receive it? You don't have to work for it. That's religion. You just have to receive this gift of salvation. Will you receive that gift of salvation this morning if you haven't already? Christ sees you. He's reaching out to you. He wants to lift you up. Will you take his hand? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I'm so thankful for this book of Acts. I'm so thankful for the way you make it so stark for us. You're teaching us so much about the Holy Spirit. You're teaching us so much about Jesus. You're teaching us so much about your love. And it's overwhelming. So Lord, I just simply ask that you would help us to fix our eyes on Jesus. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to open our eyes to the people around us. That we would see them, but that we would see them with love and compassion 
your love and compassion, that you would fill us with your love and compassion so that we can pour it out on them, just like the Good Samaritan, just like you did, Jesus, with the woman at Simon's house, just like you bestowed on Peter, just like you want to pour out on all of us. So we invite you to come and be at work, open up our eyes, fix our eyes on Jesus so that we can have that target fixation, spiritual moment with you, Jesus, that is utterly transforming, that leads to forgiveness and empowerment to live a whole new healed from brokenness life. And we'll give you all the praise like this man in this story, leaping, and praising God because you are worthy, King Jesus. And we honor you here this morning in our midst. And we want to sing your praises to your name today. In Jesus' precious name, all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, I don't know what the Holy Spirit has impressed on your heart from uh, Pastor Ben's message this morning, but I, as I was I, at the beginning of the sermon, I had one thing I wanted to say, and by the end, you know, it often changes. And I just think about the way that the, whole, the, the man is begging and, and Peter sees him and I just think about, I think about myself and I know that there was a period in my life where I was begging to be seen by Jesus, begging to have uh, Jesus see me, to give me direction, to give me guidance, to give me what I felt like I needed. And so uh, as we see other people, we're called to love people like Jesus loves us. Uh, and as Jesus has given himself for us, we're to give ourselves for other people. So that's a big one for me. And that's, that's one of the big things that stuck out to me from, from Pastor Ben's sermon. And as we continue uh, with the last part of our, our service, our last song, before we jump into that, just a couple things to, for you to be thinking about, to you to help put this in practice uh, that will help you strengthen your relationship with God and others here at Cyprus. The first one is, as Ben mentioned again, the Kingdom Lab. This is gonna be an intensive two-hour high energy. If, if Ben has anything to say about it, I'm sure it'll be high energy. Um, it's gonna be a really focused time on the gospel, what the message truly is. And, and when you're clear on what the gospel is, when you're clear on what Jesus has called us to do, there's, there's, there's a clear direction to go because of it. And there's so many different things that we add on to the gospel in our culture. And when we're clear on what the gospel actually is, um, it's clear what he wants us to do and it's, it's easy to move forward. So I would encourage you to come check that out uh, next Sunday, 5.30. And if you have questions about that, I'm going to be on the patio uh, with my little table again. And uh, I'll have gospel cards there to, uh, to share with you. It has more information on the event. I'd love to just talk to you about it if you have any questions. So, but I encourage you to be there. And we got small groups. we got a WANA that normally meet that night. We're shutting a couple of them down so people can all come in here um, for the worship night the following week. Uh, but for the gospel training, I would love for all of you to come and just be a part of that. Bring your small group. Uh, bring one another. For, for the worship night, the second one is the worship night. The following, three days later on Wednesday, the, 20, or the 26th of February, uh, we're going to be kicking off 40 days of prayer uh, one week before that on the 26th, uh, just worshiping together, worshiping Jesus, uh, coming together and just uh, praising him for who he is. That's what I was saying. We've got uh, small groups. We've got Awana that normally meet that night, but we're shutting down just to focus on who Jesus is, to come together corporately and to worship him. So I'd encourage you to be at that one as well. And then the final one again is 40 Days of Prayer, which starts March 4th here in the sanctuary. We're going to be praying every Wednesday uh, leading up to Easter. So uh, lots of things to be plugged into, the gospel training, the worship night, and then 40 Days of Prayer. But I would love to see each of us uh, at these three events. And, and I'm at the, uh, out of the patio if you have any more questions about those things. Another simple step that you can take right away is to stay after service while we have coffee and donuts on the patio and meet some new people. In the middle section of our weekly, we have a challenge to meet three new people that you can um, meet out there on the patio and hopefully pray for them this week. 
And then also we encourage anyone that's new to fill out a connection card that's in the back of the pew in front of you. And then on the back side is a place for prayer requests. You can drop those in the offering plate or take it to the Welcome Center in the lobby. And finally, one act of response to the preaching of God's word is taking of the offering. So I'll ask the ushers to please come forward as we receive this morning's offering. And as the offering is being passed, would you please join us in our final song?
this benediction church go now with your trust in the good shepherd and let us love not just in words but in truth and action believe in the name of Jesus Christ and love one another just as he has commanded us and may God be at your side even in the valley may Christ Jesus be the cornerstone of your life and may the Holy Spirit abide in you and tend you with love and mercy all the days of your life. Go now in peace to love and serve the Lord. In the name of Christ, amen. Thank you again for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more information about our community, please visit cypresschurch.org. And as always, we would love to see you every Sunday at 10 a.m. for worship. Have a blessed week.